Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome in Sports Saturday here on ESPN 700, Utah's number one sports talk. J.P. Chunga in. Lauren Mason Beck will join me in the second hour. Scott Funk running the board right now. Utah has its bowl destination and it is the heart of Dallas Bowl on December 26th against West Virginia. How do we feel about it? How are we approaching this game? Because it is a decidedly average season going six and six. It's in the name. Five hundred. You went six and six. But you get in the end the best bowl opponent that you could possibly get, and the best bowl opponent in your history in the Pac twelve in West Virginia. How in the world do you manage that? Compare that to when this team got into the Pac-12, they're playing the Sun Bowl against Georgia Tech. And then you miss a bowl for two years. Then you get Colorado State in Vegas, BYU in Vegas, and then last year with the Foster Farms Bowl in Indiana. This is unequivocally the most high-profile team that you will be playing in your short history in a Power 5 conference. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I enjoy the fact that they will be going up against a Big 12 team. West Virginia's a capable bunch with an interesting coach in Dana Holgerson, with an interesting crew to go around it. This is 100% the best bowl that you've gotten to, and it's Come in your worst season in a bowl eligible year in the Pac 12. How'd you manage that? In the end, that's that's a good thing. That's something that you want. And it benefits you because the entire Pac 12 was able to uh, get themselves going by qualifying so many teams to bowl games. Understand this. By. Washington and USC both going to a New Year's Six bowl game. It elevates everybody else's money and everybody else's uh, slice of the pie, especially when you have so much going on around this conference, especially this week, seemed like an onslaught of things that were happening. But you get two teams in the New York Six bowl, and that means... $8 $8 million split amongst the 12 schools, about $700,000 going to each team. This is what you came into the conference for. This is what the Power Five is supposed to provide you if you're a Utah 
if you're an Oregon State, if you are an Arizona school, a Colorado. These opportunities, the bigger brand name clubs able to get themselves into the New York Six supposed to provide you. And not to mention the fact that you're playing a good opponent as well. But the Pac-12 being able to get into New Year's Six Bowls, it's paramount and it helps you out so much. Because look at look at the bowl games that this year the conference was able to get to. You have USC against Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. Washington against Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. Alamo Bowl has Stanford against TCU. The Holiday has Washington State back again to take on Michigan State. Foster Farms has Arizona against Purdue. Sun Bowl has Arizona State against NC State with Herm Edwards on that staff. Las Vegas Bowl has Oregon against Boise State. Cactus Bowl has UCLA against Kansas State. And then your Heart of Dallas Bowl, which you can hear right here on ESPN 700, December 26th, Utah against West Virginia. And think about this. You have one of the most compelling games in the bowl season that isn't a playoff game. USC against Ohio State. The Pac-12 made out like bandits. This is the perfect best-case scenario to happen for you. And you can't help but enjoy that. And it came during a decidedly down year for your club. You went through so much this entire year with Tyler Huntley, with Troy Williams. Who's it going to be under center for you? You had to battle it out during camp. And the winner of that battle, Tyler Huntley, was unable to stay healthy, so you had to go back to the retread that started from last year, but you still grinded out six games and were able to get things going. And now, heading into next year, you have a presumed starter, at least, in Tyler Huntley, somebody who leased the conversation from the start of this was that he's going to be uh, playing if he's available in this bowl game, Tyler Huntley. You're going to have a presumed starter going in next year and into spring ball against a really impressive upstart in Jack Tuttle, somebody that is getting so much name play and so much noise around him that you can't help but be excited about what's going to come. And then you have the shifting tectonics in the conference around you that you have to look at as something that needs to bring you to a higher level. It needs to spur you to being better. Because look at just during this week. You have Herm Edwards being unveiled at Arizona State under a new leadership model, a new way of thinking about college football and the way that this game is going to be run. Now, I think it's very easy for people to 
knock the hire by Arizona State, by the Sun Devils, because if you watch the press conference, if you even looked at a clip of the press conference, you can tell, whoa, this is going to be something. This is going to either be a dramatic failure or this is going to be a dramatic success. It's going to be one of the extremes, no doubt. And you get confused because Herm Edwards, at least it appeared as if he didn't know that ASU were the Sun Devils. But he said it was joking. I'll take him at his word at that. But it appears as if he at least didn't look like he knew the uh, mascot was going to be the Sun Devils. Because he uh, remarked about how he's a Christian. Not about those devils. Well, he's going to be about these devils now. And it comes under the new leadership model that has him as the CEO, him as the man in charge over the people who are doing the hands-on work and the hands-on coaching of the team. And I think that is undeniably a way to look at the game. And it's, it's not necessarily innovative so much as it is being just dramatically played up with a guy who clearly uh, has not coached in a while. So you have to think that he isn't as into the details as somebody else might, as a Kyle Whittingham, as someone who's a micromanager like Chip Kelly. Herm Edwards coming from the ESPN set to your program, it's going to be way different than any other hire. Especially coming from the National Football League where where things aren't as fluid as they are in college football. Now, there are benefits to this new leadership model because now you have Herm Edwards being the GM. He's a former NFL coach, and in that scenario, he was never able to pick his roster. Now that he has an opportunity to recruit, an opportunity to find his own players and sculpt his own idea of playing and his own football team, got to think that that is a boost and something that he has to enjoy taking on the challenge of. Because it's not as if he's completely foreign to recruiting or to showmanship, which is a huge deal in college football. He's done it on ESPN as an NFL analyst. That's all about selling yourself. That's all about recruiting people to watch you, to watch this pregame show that people should have no interest in. Well, he recruited you to, to pay attention. And if he can bring that energy on the recruiting trail... You've got to be worried if if you're Utah or if you're another team in the Pac-12 South because he's coached at the Under Armour All-American game. He has contacts with these high-level players and these big-name recruits. If he's able to translate that into success on the recruiting trail, then things get tougher. Uh, I was talking to Mitch Harper earlier uh, during the week, and he said, Herm Edwards is already targeting some people that have uh, in-state football fans worried. He targeted Gunnar Romney, the four-star wide receiver that's going to BYU. 
And if he, you get Herm Edwards in a room, you've got to think he's a good salesman. You've got to think that he can close the deal. And Gunnar Romney over at BYU, he was, he was already just a soft verbal. Things can change, especially when you have this early signing period on December 20th. And this leads me to bringing things locally. If you're BYU and you're going up in a head-to-head recruiting battle right now with Herm Edwards, who's trying to poach somebody from you, what are we doing without an offensive coordinator? You've got to find someone now. You've got to find someone soon. Because just having an empty slot when an early signing period is coming up, how does that play with recruits? How does that play with somebody who's going to sign up for an offense with a place that they don't know who's going to be running their system? They don't know what system is going to be run. Especially when you consider that Ty Detmer was running a pro-style set at a school that really should be running the spread. David Nixon, former BYU and NFL linebacker, he told this story on ESPN 960 uh, the other day. He ran into Charlie Weiss and joked with him that he wants Charlie Weiss to be the BYU OC. Now, that's crazy, and that would be an amazing cat in the hat for Kalani Saki to pull out. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I know. I know I, uh, I'm busting a lot of people's hopes there, but I don't think it's going to happen. But he was talking to Charlie Weiss, and he said, Hey, you should be the BYU OC. Charlie Weiss shot back at him. He said, I don't run your offense. Well, David Nixon told him they've been running a pro-style set for the last couple years because of Ty Detmer. And Charlie Weiss went back at him and said, that's odd because they really have the athletes and the personnel to run the spread. So even from an NFL mind and a person like Charlie Weiss, he looks as an outsider on BYU and says they should be running a different offensive system. And right now, for Recruit, who is committed to BYU, an offensive player who's thinking about BYU, they don't know what's going to happen uh, going forward. They don't know what's going to be in their next four-year college football, at least playing experience. That's why you got to get get these things done now. And that's why Oregon decided to elevate Mario Cristobal from co-offensive coordinator to full head coach, to being the head man, because they know things need to be put in motion. And Oregon is a place that you can win. Oregon is a place where it's not necessarily the flashy hire that is imperative on your athletics department to deliver. You have so many resources. You have the Nike money to boot. The Ducks almost make the coach rather than the coach making the Ducks, if that makes any sense. Three different Oregon coaches have won 10-plus games and a conference title in this century. Three different, including Chip Kelly. Now, Mario Cristobal joining those ranks 
in the North, he already has a great case for being the right man, the right time to follow Willie Taggart, who is off to FSU. But he also has ties to Florida, which if you're Oregon, you want to get into there. He's an ex-Miami Hurricane. He was on national championship Miami Hurricane teams. And he has a proven track record as a person who can coach. He's taken Florida International, a team that had never been to a bowl game, to their first two bowls in school history. And now he's at Oregon. The tectonics in the Pac-12 are shifting and changing, and Utah needs to continue to find a way to keep up. We haven't even gotten to Chip Kelly at UCLA, who's going to bring in his NFL torn and battered and experienced mind back to college football and to a program that has decidedly less pressure than the jobs that he was being attached to in the coaching search. He could have been at Tennessee right now instead of uh, Pruitt. Now, I don't think anybody want, wanted to be at Tennessee, at least that were big names. That That is certainly clear. But Chip Kelly is at UCLA when he could have got at Florida. Another great banner program in college football that provides you a great recruiting base, provides a great ability to play in a good conference, but it also has way more pressure. UCLA, not as much. And for UCLA, you now have a coach who has shown himself to get things rolling. You know the success that happened at Oregon. Can he translate that to UCLA, which is one of the sleeping giants in the Pac-12 South? Because it's not as if they've had terrible uh, recruits. They get the players. Josh Rosen, after all, chose to be a Bruin. Now he wanted to be at Stanford, but he still is. UCLA Blue. So you can get players. Now can they translate that to success? And then, on top of all of that, with Chip Kelly, Herm Edwards in the south, Mario Cristobal in the north, you've got to contend with Clay Helton at SC, Rich Rodriguez and Khalil Tate at Arizona, and then you've got Mike McIntyre in the wings. Now, there's a lot of flux in that program, and they certainly weren't able to bring back what they showed in uh, last year's effort, a time when they were able to get to the Pac-12 championship game. But that's one thing that Utah has not been able to climb the hill. They haven't been able to get to the title game. They haven't been able to make themselves uh, that or give themselves that crown. And now that's something that you have to look going forward. Because you have to wonder, has 
that sort of window closed. If Chip Kelly can get things turned around at UCLA, that's another team that that you're battling with to contend in the South and to contend in the conference and in the league. If ASU can continue to get better after a year of Todd Graham overseeing Phil Bennett and Billy Napier, the two coordinators that are going to be staying with Herm Edwards now in charge, well, where does that leave you? If Khalil Tate can continue to get better as a team and as a quarterback under Rich Rod, where does that leave you? And if USC gets themselves situated and gets themselves uh, in a place where they can start humming and continue to be the team that everybody expects them to be, a contender in the playoff, well, where does that leave you? Has the window closed? Because right now, in this porous season, though, this 6-6 six and six year, you are looking on the outside of at least the shifts going on right now in the conference. For better or for worse. And this year, at least conference-wise, wasn't all that great. You went 3-6. and six. The wins against Arizona and Colorado bolster what you were doing and the way that you were going. But can that translate and can that get better going forward into successive years? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I can, I can really give a concrete, definite answer to that. Because the coaches that you've seen in this conference have been able to do things with significantly less players and less talent than you would think from other programs. Utah, at least, going off of uh, John Wilner's numbers over at the Pac-12 hotline, over the last couple of years, and the last five, they've produced 28 active players in the NFL. That's comparable with UCLA, with... uh, Arizona State in terms of NFL production. If you can get that continually and you're still not winning the South, well, things may not be looking bright going forward. That being said, I think you have to enjoy at least what's going on in the conference and what's going on going forward because, if anything, it is very Interesting. Now, I know that wasn't as much of a breakdown of the game, the Heart of Dallas Bowl against West Virginia, uh, coming up on December 26th, but we will get into that later on on successive Sports Saturdays. I think looking at the conference and where we are at right now, things are definitely interesting. Coming up next, though, The NFL wants to take something from college. I'll tell you why that's a bad idea next. This is Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
Sports Saturday on ESPN 700, Utah's number one sports talk. J.P. Chunga in. Lauren Mason Beck will join us in the second hour. Scott Funk behind the glass, making sure we're getting through. The NFL deciding that things from the Monday night game got a little out of hand. This entire week of football has gotten too much. Rob Gronkowski going in for a late hit. You had the Ryan Shazier injury on Monday night. You had Juju Smith-Schuster go for a crack block on Vontez Perfect. And now it's got the NFL considering going to the, the college football targeting rule. Now... That's a bad idea. One, because the NFL, at least the game that we are seeing right now, the way that it is playing at this very moment, professional football is not good for for bodies, for humans. We've seen in all the research that has come forth, concussions, football, it's debilitating on people's bodies. It's bad for you. It's like smoking cigarettes. It is bad. And Troy Vincent is the one that came out and said that the NFL is considering this college football targeting rule where you get kicked out after you have targeting. It's that, that trying to make this game a little bit safer that it seems to me hollow because of course I am pro making the game safe I am all in on wanting to make sure that we can make it as palatable to a wide audience we need to understand that It isn't just these big crack blocks that that you've seen and that you saw this last week that are giving people CTE, that are breaking down people's bodies. It's the mini hits that they have every single play. It's the car collisions that happen on the offensive and defensive line on every single snap. That's what's hurting people, and that's what's breaking people's bodies down. There's no way you can make that safer. Because that's football. That's the game. You you need to understand that it's cigarettes. It's smoking. The NFL moving to a college rule where it would be a kick a targeting and you're out sort of model to me seems like a PR move. It's them trying to appear as if they are dealing with this problem when they're, when they are not in fact dealing with it because football is going to be dangerous. Football is going to hurt you. And it happens all the time when you have these crazy games when you have Steelers-Bengals, which is 
a physical game. But these things are going to happen because that's just what you're watching. And, and we need to understand that, especially now, uh, with Roger Goodell getting a $200 million uh, con year contract as commissioner of this league, uh, how how much of this is just about PR rather than making the game safer? Because if you're going to make the game safer, you go to uh, the way Frank Dolce has talked about football, and that's eliminating the kickoff. There's no reason for there to be a kickoff. There's no reason for those collisions to happen. Because it's a non-consequential play, you just start start somewhere on the field, and bang, you get the game going. The kickoff can be gone like that, and that would make the game safer. So if you're so concerned with player safety and the way that we are addressing uh, those sort of things, then you would make and institute rules that would go right there in line. This seems like a little bit of window dressing, in my uh, humble opinion, because you had a very physical Monday night game that sort of turned people off. But that was the type of game that we saw 30 years ago. That's the type of game that in 2005 was getting an, its entire segment on NFL Countdown. Don't let people fool you. They had a segment called Jacked Up. These big hits, these cracks, these blocks, they would be highlighted week to week. This is what made you fall in love with the game, these big hits. In Madden, they made a hit stick just because of how violent this game is. Football's a violent sport. And kicking people out as the college football rule has happened, something that Utah football fans will understand 100%, doesn't really do much because it's not as big of a deterrent uh, to what's happening. Because understand the mind mentality of a football player. I could either let up and not get this guy, and he could go score, or I could light him up and this plays over, and, and he doesn't score. That's the calculation that they're going through, and you're not going to lose your job if you get fined. You're going to lose your job if he scores a touchdown. So how much of a deterrent is that targeting rule? I don't think it's anything substantial to make the game safer. That's why it appears to me to be window dressing. That's why I'm not so keen on just adopting that college football rule. And Utah football fans have seen it. And there's a reason why it needs to be reviewed. It's because these plays happen so bang-bang, happen so instantaneously, that where's the decision-making? Where can you really honestly say, oh, that guy was going to hurt him? And those type of hits happen where somebody's actively trying to just take someone's head off. But again, that's what made people fall in love with the game. That's what made Ray Lewis so great. That's what made a person like Ed Reed or Troy Palomalu, these, I don't want to call them headhunters because that's sort of become a slur, but that's what made those type of big hitters the guys who were marketed, the defensive players that you wanted to see. 
these hits are tough to calculate if you're a defensive player because the thinking that you had gone through and the conventional way you would approach it was a hit to a head, at least he can stay in the game. A hit to the knees, a hit to the lower body, and that might end his career. And where where do you want to go? Do you want to end somebody's career because you've taken out their legs? Or do you want to damage them later down the road by going after their head? And that's just those type of, oh, can I go high or low hits? There are also the, the times when the quarterback leaves a wide receiver exposed going down the middle. Mike Mitchell of, of the Steelers, he talked about this week. Andy Dalton, because of his inaccuracy, has left his receivers out to dry to be exposed for these hits, to be the defenseless receiver. And be, these decisions, these moments are inches away from being a good or a bad hit inches away from a body being tucked high or low from a devastating injury and just a regular old football play. And that's the crux of what's going on in football. I am okay if we all understand, hey, this is a brutal sport. This is violence. This is a little bit unsavory. If we can get to that understanding, okay. And that's where I am with football nowadays. I understand what's going on. I understand these guys are sort of putting their bodies on the line for our entertainment. I don't think the NFL understands that, and they're trying to win the PR battle going forward with these sort of minor tweaks that aren't really deterrents to the actual behavior and the brutality of the sport. We made an entire hit stick on Madden in a game of a game. So let's not act like we should be affronted by what's happening on the field in pro football. When we come back, who is the best college basketball team in the state? I'll let you know next. This is Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. The way that I I tease this, said I would tell you the best basketball team in the state. Well, I'm gonna go off Ken Palm's numbers and let you know who's the best basketball team at least right now, and it's Utah. But we will know definitively next week when Utah and BYU play. That's because the Beehive Classic is coming around today, starting at 5.30 with Utah and Utah State playing at the Vivint Smart Home Arena. Jazz is home, playing some college basketball in an NBA arena. And I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm not so sure everybody else is. Everybody in the state, I think Kurt Cragthorpe in the Salt Lake Tribune really put this pretty aptly. College basketball, when this Beehive Classic was a twinkle in people's eyes, when people were thinking about this as something to do, it was much more popular. And this was thought up as something that basketball fans in the state would love in the 80s when you had Pace Mannion. That sort of era of Utah college basketball when things were rolling then, that I think would develop more excitement, more more fan uh, involvement, and, and it would pack the arena at the, at the old Salt Palace uh, in the 80s. But this version certainly doesn't lack any storylines. You've got BYU against Weber State after the USU-Utah game. And that one also has a tasty uh, player taking on his old team. Of course, in the Utah game, in that one, I think, which is the playoff, if you will, the college basketball state playoff, um... You've got David Collette going against USU and speaking to USU fans, speaking to uh, people who are part of the herd. David Collette is the most reviled uh, player in a while, dating back to when the Aggies were really humming with Ty Wesley and Brady Jardine. And now... You've got somebody to hate in David Collette who left after a couple of years, recruited under Stu Morrill, the legend, and then left for Larry Kostoyak's club. And now he's shining as a player, scoring in double digits and operating for, for that club. Now understand, Utah and BYU and USU and Weber State it's not the highest level of basketball that we've seen, especially as of, as of recently, or in the history of college basketball in this state. But I think this is an, a nice opportunity to see where everybody's at, where these teams are in the pecking order of competition. Now, next year, I think, will be the banner year of this event because you've got Utah and BYU on the slate, and that's always going to develop the animosity, especially when they haven't played in a while. Now, this Utah-USU game, last time these two teams played, it was 2010, and you had that Ty Wesley squad beaten up on the running Utes up in Logan. Last time these two teams met, that wasn't a win for the running Utes. And the Aggies, they've won seven of the past 11 in this matchup. Add on to that the David Collette factor, and it's interesting. It's something that I am looking forward to. Utah coming off of a loss to Butler and still on the outside looking in, at least right now, as a possible tournament team. I'm going off of Joe Lenardi's bracketology. He still has Utah on the next four out uh, uh, of uh, 
the tournament, they have to take care of in-state matchups. And you have to prove yourself to be the best team in the state. Because you have to pick up those wins, especially when you have a, I don't want to say difficult conference schedule because the Pac-12 is not at least comparable to the bigger conferences, not the ACC. But going through a league slate is always going to be a grind. And if you can't beat these in-state teams, things are going to set up poorly for you going into those games in January, in February. Right now, Ken Palm has them as the 60th best team in the nation, that being Utah. At 6-2. and two. Losses to Butler and UNLV. And this next week, this game against Utah State, this game against BYU next Saturday as well, those are really your measuring sticks, these games that you have to pick up to get into that tournament conversation and to get yourself in. Because you're, you're on the bubble, at least of right now, especially when you don't have an insane non-conference schedule. That being said, you do have wins over Power 5 conference teams in Missouri and Ole Miss. But you need to get these in-state games, and you will find out definitively the best team in the state next week. A little bit of a fib, but at least going off of Ken Palm's number, Utah is the number one team in the state. But I am also looking forward to BYU and Weber State. McKay Cannon coming back against the Wildcats to face his old club. Plenty of storylines in the Beehive Classic. I'm not sure the buzz matches it. But next year, it'll certainly be ramped up. We'll be able to see what's going on in in this showcase. And we'll be able to see how it goes uh, going forward. But I'm excited. And you can listen to that coverage here on ESPN 700. It starts with Utah and Utah State. Pre-game at 4.30 with Bill Riley and Jimmy Soto from the Viv. Game time. Tip time between those two at 5.30. So make sure you tune into that. One hour down. One hour to go. Up next, two roads for Donovan Mitchell. I'll let you know the paths next. This is Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk. ESPN 700. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.